Well, I've been listening to that song all week and just looking at the human heart's desire that something's going to fully and finally satisfy. And then you get that thing and it's, it's never enough. And you feel caged by this pursuit of something that was supposed to satisfy. Today in our Rhyme or Reason series, we're going to look at why the heart feels like it can't get what it needs and ends up discouraged or even hopeless or even depressed, feeling caged in inside. Recent medical studies have shown that the more affluent the society you grow up in, the higher the tendency toward depression. Like how could that be? They studied nine characteristics of depression and discouragement and found that the affluent nations like America have a 15% higher rate of those who are discouraged or depressed because it's those cultures who tell you, if you could just get that title, if you could just get that many sales, if you could just get that, it would be enough. But it's not enough. And you get that. You make that. And then you have the pressure to make that number and better next time. And the heart begins to tumble. And actually, it's the high type A type folks, the high flying folks, it's the high performance folks that you wouldn't expect that are most prone to discouragement and depression. The most that feel caged. In fact, today we're going to look at one of those high performance kind of guys. His name is Elijah, who struggles with discouragement and depression, feeling caged in by his success. He's going to say to God, it is enough, O Lord. It's enough. And it's not in a good way. I thought if I could just succeed better than my father's, I would be happy. And I've succeeded, but it didn't make me happy. It's enough. I'm done. He thought if he could just succeed more, if he could just motivate people more, if he could just accomplish more, it would be enough. But it wasn't. In this account of, of Elijah's life, as we look at depression, I hope it's going to be very helpful for you. This actually came out of an eight-week series I did at our equipping service. So as many of you know who come to our 10, we have four services, but two of them are 100% different from the other two. We do praise and worship at the equipping services. We do prayer and communion this morning. We're going through the book of Luke. But it was years ago, I did an eight-week series on the book of Elijah. So if today you are really impacted by the talk on Elijah and discouragement and depression for yourself or someone you care about, you might want to go back and look at that series. In fact, you can do that if you go to our website, uh, horizoncc.com. You can click on Media Downloads, and you can actually search. Just type in Elijah. You see a series we did called Playing with Fire, where I did eight weeks on the material we're going to look at today, studying Elijah's life and how we combat our own tendency to think that something's going to be enough, and how do we help those around us with discouragement and depression in our life. It's actually why I'm so excited about you know, moving into video services here in the next 30 to 60 days as equipment comes in is because many people have said, boy, I really wish that message on marriage or I hope today is one of those messages on depression. You think, oh, I wish I could send that to somebody through the website, through a CD, but eventually to watch it on video as well. Because there's something like that poem expressed that depression feels like you're caged. And whether it's you're caged by the fact that maybe something's not going the way it used to, you know, your hip doesn't work the way it used to, you're in your senior year of high school or college, and all of a sudden your scholarship of the one twist of the knee is gone, and something you thought was going to be enough, something you thought was your plan has fallen apart, and you feel caged, your future has immediately changed. Or maybe you've got a student who had that happen to them. Or maybe you have a, a mother who's, who no longer has the mobility of a hip, and all of a sudden you're caged by trying to take care of that person and their long care needs. 
If you've ever had depression or worked with somebody with depression, you know you feel caged. You can't will yourself out of it. It's the feeling of fear. And then even the good times get ruined because you're scared the fear is going to come back and the sadness is going to come back. It's just this constant sense of, of being caged in. And it's one thing if you like Woodstock. You know, I thought I thought, what do you get? If you're a Woodstock, or, or Tweety Bird rather, if you're Tweety Bird, you've been in a cage your whole life. You're used to a cage. But if you're an eagle and you're used to soaring great heights and accomplishing great things, you put an eagle in a cage and, oh, it feels horrific. And depression is a cage in the heart of a high flyer. And that is why depression hits those of us who are high flyers Type A's, eagles in life even more than ever because you're so used to soaring and now you can't will yourself out of what you're stuck in. So today we're going to look at some conditions for discouragement and depression, some symptoms of discouragement and depression, and then ultimately some remedies to discouragement and depression as we really go deep into the Bible. And if you like the way we're studying the Bible today, we're going to be a lot in the scripture today, very similar to what we do at the equipping service. And so if you like this, you might want to regularly come to our equipping service or pick up the CDs from our equipping service. It's going to feel a lot of great application like typical, but you're going to feel a little bit more of the digging into the nuances of the text that we do at the equipping service. So let's look at these three. The first is the conditions. What are the conditions? Well, high flyers along with everyone else, are susceptible to the cage of depression. Let's let's read back to that poem again. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind. A free bird just loves the experience of freedom and doing whatever they want. But the next stanza, but a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through the bars of rage. I can't get out of here. I can't escape. I can't get back to feeling right and feeling good and what I'm supposed to feel like. The cage... And high flyers who love to sing and fly are more susceptible to depression than even those who've lived with limits. Now, what are some of the conditions that set you up for discouragement and depression? Because nobody would have thought Elijah was discouraged or depressed. Nobody would have thought this is the kind of guy who would start feeling the way he did. And I think the conditions in his life might be conditions you might see in your own life. The first condition for depression is after you've been on a long wait. There's been a gigantic drought in the land of Israel. And it's affected the farms, it's affected the economy, it's affected everybody, just the drought. And as that drought's been going on, Elijah, after many, many times, many, many years, is now praying, after this long wait, that God would come and bring rain. He sends a servant up to the mountaintop, and they look, and like, I don't see anything yet. Seven times he sends them back, long wait. And finally he says, I see the cloud the size of a fist. He's like, it's coming. And he's been waiting for something for a long time, waiting for a job, waiting to have a child, maybe working on a deal. It's been a multi-year deal. All of the waiting of that, and, and you're, you go up to the peak of it, and then right after that deal closes, you feel discouragement coming on because you, you're just worn out from waiting. And you even told yourself, hey, I, I, I can make it two weeks, I can make it two months. And that two months comes and goes, and you, you find discouragement because you, you thought, oh, I can't make it longer than that. See, depression often comes after a long wait, and certainly after the seventh time of waiting, and after many, many years, Elijah doesn't even realize how this is impacting him. Sometimes depression comes after a big win. All of a sudden, the rain comes pouring down as he prays. And you think, well, this isn't a guy who's discouraged. This guy's on top of his game. He prayed and it rained. He's everybody's hero. But often, you've been building up to a big deal. There's the letdown factor afterwards. 
It's your kids. Maybe your kids were in a school play, right? And they've been working for months on the school play. And opening night, wah! Second night, ah! Final night, ah! And then there's sort of this slump. All that emotion comes down. Oh. It's not that you want to feel that way, but all the emotion built up, you're susceptible more to depression after a big win. Either because the emotions sort of come down because you worked so hard for that, or now you've got to double down and you've got to do better next time with your quarterly sales. So with Elijah, this big win, he doesn't even realize that's going to set him up for some discouragement and depression. The third factor here is when you're physically exhausted. Now he turns to Ahab, who's the king of Israel, and he says, hey, the rain is coming and your chariot's going to get stuck in the mud. Let's race. So Elijah had to be in incredible shape because Ahab in his kingly chariot driven by horses takes off. And it says Elijah outruns him on the chariot. He's got adrenaline flowing. He is feeling the top of his game and he outruns a chariot, which is awesome. But you run physically exhausted long enough. You run on adrenaline long enough and you wait to see the cliff that's waiting on the other side. Elijah would not say he's anywhere close to depression or discouragement. He has outrun a chariot of the king of Israel. But isn't it true that when you're drained, you don't think straight, your emotions don't align straight, your body doesn't have the the dopamine and serotonin levels it needs just because you're exhausted. The fourth symptom we see here with Elijah, or rather condition that sets us up for this, is when you're under extreme pressure. Another big win, he just went sort of battle to battle with whose God's bigger than whose God's against the 400 prophets of Baal. And he won with this amazing story I'm not going to tell today, but it's in the other series if you want to look at it. After this big win, he's just taken on 400 prophets of sort of the enemy terrorist group called the Baal worshippers who are throwing kids on the fu- into the fire. It's horrible. Then he's, he's just outrun King Ahab, but there's something about Jezebel, the queen. She writes a note to him and says... I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And though Ahab's opinion didn't really bother him, and though the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, didn't really bother him, there was something about Jezebel that she becomes the snap. She becomes the trigger for him to begin to tumble out of control. And if you've ever been with somebody in depression or you've had depression, you can't tell exactly when it started. You can... Note some different conditions. But then there was something that happened that shouldn't have been as big a deal as it was. It just became the final snap that sort of tumbled you or that person you care about into this condition. And for him it was Jezebel. And this death-threatening letter that he gets from her. I was talking to a friend at Horizon who just talked about some of the thoughts she was trying to take captive. We had a series we did called Mind Games. And she said there's certain thoughts that are beginning to capture me and make me feel caged in. I can't get free. It's some self-hatred. It's some, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it unless this happens. And these thoughts in my mind really have created the cage that set me up for depression. And so you start to identify why is it that that voice or that thought is causing this? Isn't it interesting that two people can encounter the same person, have two totally different reactions? Right? Somebody can listen to Jezebel and say, what a crab. She needs to get over herself, right? Somebody else can say, oh my goodness, Jezebel's after me, then my life is over. I remember I was up in the Northeast visiting with some friends who attended Horizon but were on uh, assignment up there for business. I went to lunch one day and I said, hey, what, what new exciting things you got going on? He says, oh, I got this great project we're working on and we're working on it with Marvel. I'm like, oh, with Marvel, that sounds awesome. 
yeah, we're doing a product launch, and it's our product mixed with some Marvel marketing. And so I got a PR event coming up this weekend. And I said, oh, what are you doing? He says, I don't know. I'm doing some big PR event in, in Boston. It's like I'm appearing with some guy named Stan Lee. Some guy named Stan Lee? You're talking about the creator of Spider-Man here, people. That's the guy who came with iron. Some guy named Stan Lee? Oh, you've heard of him. Everybody's heard of him but you. And it was amazing that here's somebody who, he didn't have a bad opinion, just, ah, just some guy who works with Marvel. See, Stan Lee, you know. How much more weight I gave his voice. And sometimes when you give a lot of weight to a circumstance or give a lot of weight to that's got to happen, it's got to happen by Christmas, it's got to happen by next week, it becomes the very thing that tumbles you in the conditions for discouragement and depression. So let's look at some of the symptoms and maybe you might recognize some of those conditions in your own life. You're exhausted, you've had some big wins, you're feeling the letdown. What are the symptoms that might be coming out of your life or the lives of those around you so you can recognize depression in advance? Well, again, we see this comes directly out of Elijah's life. Very clear symptoms. High flyers, high performance, high achievement kind of people are deeply affected by clipped wings when they can't do, can't feel, can't move the way they once did. And look again how the poem captures that. The bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through the bars of rage. His his wings are clipped. He's so angry that he can't fly. He can't think. He can't accomplish what he did before. And, And that clipping of wings has turned into rage. The poem continues. And the cage bird sings with a fearful thrill. It's just fear begins to consume. Am I ever going to feel right again? Am I ever going to feel the way I'm supposed to? Am I ever not going to be overwhelmed again? And look what he's fearful of. Of things unknown but longed for still. The unknown can be such a great source of fear as I shared last week my own story. The longing for i got to get back to normal. i got to get back to happy. I'm longing for it but I can't get there. And with that, these symptoms start to spill out of your life for those you care about, certainly out of Elijah's life. Number one, it's fear. When he gets this note from Jezebel, it says, when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. He didn't run from the 400 or from the king, but man, he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. When fear begins to control you, you just start running, fight or flight kicks in, your brain begins to produce adrenaline and serotonin and dopamine in levels that just have you truly in panic mode. It actually shuts down the rational part of your brain and you're truly operating on the pure emotion side of your brain. So it's fear. Another symptom of discouragement and depression we see here, which is withdrawing from other people. What you need most when you're discouraged is people around you to love you and care for you and let you know that you matter and you're going to get through this. And and yet something about depression and discouragement, you do the opposite. The natural reaction is to withdraw from other people. And as he's running, he's got a servant, his, his fellow friend, but he leaves his servant there. The one person who could say, hey, are you sure that's a good idea? Whoa, I want you to know I care about you. Hey, let me pray for you. Hey, let me help you. And instead, he withdraws from others. And everyone I know who struggle with depression, we have people come in all the time and say, Chad, I know you haven't seen me in a few weeks. What's going on? I've just been depressed. I just didn't feel like being around people. I came today and I'm so glad because I need it. But, but the, the, the instinct in my heart is just to withdraw from what I need. Did you write? And look how far he withdraws. Look at this map. The distance between these two places that are mentioned here, Jezreel and Beersheba, is 90 miles. So he leaves his servant and he goes 90 miles by himself. To hide in a cave. 
And that cave will become the source of his depression getting worse, not better. Which leads to isolation, right? Now he's by himself. He's left his servant behind. And even after he left his servant down, he goes another whole day's journey, even more distant. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And now he's feeling very alone in the 100 plus degree temperatures in Israel and he's sitting under a broom tree. I got a chance to sit under a broom tree myself a couple years ago. I was in Israel and we came across a broom tree. It's my wife and I sitting under a broom tree. Learning a little bit about Elijah's story. It's called a broom tree because you can break off the branches. You can actually use it to sweep. And here's Elijah sitting, discouraged, lonely, wondering why God isn't doing what he's supposed to do with Jezreel or with Jezebel under the broom tree. I know that feeling as I've been sharing some of the counseling I'm doing in my own life for things going on with my with my son um, and his special needs. And then my wife has back issues. It got even worse this week and she's pretty much can't move. She's been in the bed for the last 48 hours and can't find any place to sit or lay or any way that in any way relieves the pain. In the middle of that, the caregiver I had who <laughs> gives me 10 hours of support week happened to quit right in the middle of the weekend. I find myself sitting under a broom tree this weekend. God. Lower your standards of what you think I can handle. You ever sat under the broom tree and felt that way? It's where Elijah is. Fear, withdrawal, isolation. I had a friend attending Horizon. I talked to her a few months ago and she said, uh, man, I, I really haven't seen me in a couple weeks. And, and I said, what's going on? She said, well, I, I just had a bad incident. And I prompted a little bit more, and you could just see the shame on her. As I talked a little bit longer, she said that, you know, she'd always struggled with depressive thoughts, but she'd actually contemplated suicide. In her mind, that was unforgivable because her mother had committed suicide. It's one thing to feel it, it's one thing to think about it, but to actually go through with it, to even attempt it, was unforgivable. You could just see the shame over her, and I looked at her, I said, there is hope, and we love you, and we care for you, and we want you here, and we want to walk this journey with you. And I could just see the shame come up as, as, we spoke against the lies that all of a sudden if you, if you struggle with suicidal thoughts, you were suddenly, you know, some outcast or, or worthy of shame or that somebody in need of help. That's what isolation does. Which brings us to the next stage, which is if you stay isolated long enough, you stay away and let that fear rotate in your mind long enough and you're going to end up with hopelessness. Here's Elijah just a minute ago is praying down rain and, and beating out the, the my God is bigger than your God contest. And now it says, and he prayed that he might die in that broom tree. He said, it is enough. Lord, take my life. I can't take it anymore. I thought if people would respond the way they were supposed to respond at that Baal thing, that, that I would finally be something. I'd finally be the leader I'm supposed to be and the prophet I'm supposed to be. It was a great win, but it wasn't enough. I thought if I could be the person who made the rain come, people would return to you the way they're supposed to. If I could, I'm the rain guy, it'd be enough. It's enough. It's not enough. It's just enough trying to even keep up with it all. Just take my life. I'd rather be dead than to keep running this race. Which leads to comparisons. And this is another symptom. You start comparing. That's why all the research shows the longer you're on Facebook, the more depressed you are. Just classic. Because you're comparing people's false life of their best moments to your normal moments. Wow, I bet you their marriage is better than mine. Wow, their kids look very obedient. Mine weren't this week. 
Facebook, as good as it is, it's just a constant comparison cycle where you compare your normal and your worst to their best. And they're falsified for that matter. But look at what, look at what Elijah's comparison was. For I am no better than my father's. And this is the lie embedded deep within the fourth dream of his inception, if you saw the movie. This is the lie deep in his subconscious that is driving his depression. I've got to be better than my forefathers. Who says? God never told him that. God never put that burden on him. But for him, if I'm not better than my forefathers in how I pray and what I accomplish and what I did, then I'm nothing. When you compare your marriage to somebody else's, when you compare your kids to somebody else, your territory to somebody else, your career path to somebody else, there is some lie in there that I would be happy if I had their job, their marriage, their kids, their circumstance. And that lie... You're going to end up singing the song that we heard sung earlier. It's never enough. You can have the whole world in your hand and it will still not be enough. And that lie that that thing is going to satisfy you is actually what's driving. You've turned something into a God besides God. You might call yourself a Christian. You might not call yourself a Christian. It's really irrelevant what you call yourself because either way you haven't made God your God. You've made that thing, that number, that circumstance, that comparison is your real functional God. Which is why he's tumbling into depression in a place you never thought he would. He's beginning to see his whole life through the filter of does this make me better than my father's? And it's wrecking everything. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories. There was a grandpa who uh, f- fell asleep on his uh, lazy boy. And so the grandkids came up next to him. He was just, you know, snoring along. <laughs> he had big old whiskers, by the way, grandpa did. And so they went in the kitchen and, and they got some Limburger cheese. And they came over to Grandpa's Lazy Boy and they, they spread it into his, his mustache. And they went and put it all away. And Grandpa woke up a little bit later. Something stinks around here. Everybody's like, I don't smell anything. What? Gets up out of his Lazy Boy. Walks around the living room. This whole room stinks. He goes in the kitchen. Grandma's making chocolate chip cookies. Man, the kitchen just it stinks. Says, well, at least he got some chocolate chip cookies. Opens up the, 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 the oven's like, oh, these cookies stink. I'm going outside for some fresh air. Goes outside. The whole world stinks, right? And this is what happens with discouragement and depression. You've got this one thing. Unless I do that one thing, it doesn't just wreck the, yourself. It begins to wreck even the good experiences around you. Everything through those comparisons gets affected by that. And that's what Elijah's been struggling with. But God does not condemn him for his suicidal thoughts. God does not shame him for his discouragement and depression. God is such a wonderful counselor who draws so near to him. And giving him very, very practical remedies for discouragement and depression. So let's look at some of those remedies. Because I think every high flyer desperately needs another breeze. A fresh breeze of hope. A fresh breeze that there's a purpose to life. A fresh breeze that your yesterdays don't determine your tomorrows. Notice that phrase again in the poem. The free bird thinks, oh, I just need another breeze. And the trade winds soft through the sighing trees. 
that other breeze that we all need. Compared to the cage bird, the cage bird stands in the grave of dreams. It's never going to happen. It's all die. Never going to be different again. I've just, I, I, it's all permanent and it affects everything. And he tries to open his throat to sing, but he can't because it's not even worth trying. It's into that in this cave that God comes to Elijah in the cave and says, Hey, let me help. And remember, Elijah's used to big stuff. God appearing in big fire things and big rains. And so God appears to him with some big things. He appears to him in the cave with an earthquake. Boom! Strong wind. Boom! Earthquake. Mountains break into rocks. Pieces before the Lord. But God was not in that big wind. Huh. And God was not in the big earthquake. Huh. A fire comes down. God wasn't in the fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah, you're used to me working in big ways and you think big things are going to be enough. I want you just to hear my still, small voice with you in this cave. With you in your darkness. I am with you in your sadness. I am with you in your discouragement. You're going to encounter me in a fresh way. And here's four remedies that he gives. And they're all so powerful, but it's such a tender, counseling God. So if you've ever thought the Old Testament God is angry, remember this passage. This is like the best counselor you've ever been to. God comes to Elijah in this cave, and the first thing he says is, you got to take care of your physical needs. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. The angel woke him up and prepared some cake for him. God said, you know, the first thing you do, you don't need a sermon, you don't need a lecture, you don't need a shame, 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 buckle your, get yourself up and fix this. You need to take care of your physical needs. You're not eating well. You've been running. You haven't been eating. So God makes him a cake, a cake. Can you imagine that? Like I thought you weren't supposed to eat cake. God makes him a cake over the coals. God is great. Makes Elijah a piece of cake. I mean, this is good stuff. He's eating the cake. And then he says, hey, now that you've eaten, because you haven't eaten very well, it's time to take a nap. Go lay down again. Now, how spiritual is that? Maybe the most godly thing, most spiritual thing you could do this afternoon is take a nap. My son woke me up at 1.30 and didn't get back to sleep till 5. I need a nap. It was a tough night last night. And I know this, when I don't sleep well, I don't think well, and I don't feel well, and everything gets distorted. And God said, one of the first things you do for remedy for depression is you got to start eating differently, and you got to start getting your sleep. And that's one of the problems of depression, right? You don't sleep well, so you're experiencing insomnia. But finding ways to purposely find rest and, and eat well is one of the first things we do for a remedy. And that's exactly what God does here with Elijah. Second thing he does, it says, I want you to seek my strength. The angel comes back to him after he wakes up from the second nap. The second time, he says, rise and eat. Time to eat again. More cake, more food. And then does he say, you shouldn't feel this way? He says, no, Elijah, you know, the journey is too great for you. What you're up against, the circumstances you're facing, it's more than anybody can handle. Does that sound like an Old Testament God to you? A God who is that kind and that compassionate, such a wonderful counselor, with such empathy and sympathy. And then he gives him some more food. And here's what's pretty amazing about this food. The food he got from God, when, when he got not his own willpower, but God food, apparently this must have been really good cake. Because he'd be able to go in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. That's some good cake. 40 days. 
And sometimes if you've never encountered praying and asking for God's strength or trying to open the Bible, there's something about one little nugget when you feel like God is with you, spoken to you. It's better than a thousand counselors and a thousand self-help books. And I'm not against counselors, I'm not against self-help books. There's something about God's strength that can get you 40 days when you seek his strength in the middle of discouragement and depression. That's what Elijah finds. In fact, it's kind of interesting. He heads back to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is where Elijah had got, this is where um, Moses has gotten the Ten Commandments. So he's trying to relive the past here. And sometimes in trying to move forward, we try and relive our best moments in the past. And, and the terrain that he's going 40 days and 40 nights on is pretty rugged. This is actually a mountain very similar to Mount Horeb that I got to hike with my wife. It's two hours to get from the top, uh, bottom to the top. And this is the kind of place in a hot Israel desert that he's hiking by himself. But now he's doing it in God's strength. But he still has this tendency to isolate himself and to resist. And so even after God's encountered him, he's still isolating. And so God has to show up in a cave here at Mount Horeb and say, Elijah, you've got to resist this, this natural tendency when you're depressed to isolate more. It's only making things worse. And he comes to him in this cave and basically says, Elijah... What are you doing in here? It's no wonder you're depressed. You're in a cave. Yet if you've been depressed, or with somebody depressed, that's what they want to do, right? The natural tendency is close the windows, go into a black space and watch some TV and you know binge watch until you don't want to watch anything over. And it just, it just makes things worse. So guys, you've got to resist the isolation. It's time to come out of the cave. He gives them some jobs. Go anoint that guy. I want you to go find a friend. His name's Elisha. You need some friendships in your life. But he says, I also want you to start capturing your stinking thinking. There's several phrases that Elijah says over and over to himself. I'm no better than my father's is one. I have been very zealous for the Lord my God. Nobody else has. He thinks he's better than other people, and so God owes him better circumstances. He also says, I alone am left. He repeats this over and over in this chapter. I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And God says, no, you're not actually. I've got over 4,000 people who believe the same way you do, who want to support you, who want to help you. But as long as you keep lying to yourself with this stinking thinking that says you're alone, the stinking thinking that says that nobody cares, the stinking thinking that says I'd be better off dead, the stinking thinking that says nobody matters, nobody cares about me, it's those lies that you're exaggerating and you're repeating that are funneling you deeper and deeper into depression. So part of the remedy for depression is actually capturing what are the unique thoughts, the unique enoughs that you have that are driving you to this place. And you can usually tell because it's that thing you keep saying to yourself over and over again. I can only make it another week. This can't keep going on. No one cares. Then lastly, we need to find God in the silence. It's really interesting. Again, the, a high flyer like Elijah who's used to God doing big things all the time. And God said, no, it's time to meet me in the still, small voice. And in the Hebrew, it's actually not just still, small voice. It literally means in the silence. went to my uh, PTSD counselor last week, and she was teaching me how to be mindful. And that I likened it to I'm never where I am. My brain's either worrying about the future or it's trying to learn lessons from the past. And so I'm never really in the moment. And, and how to actually be in a moment to let my mind slow down. Because God can be in the past, present, future, but you and I can't. We can only be in the present. The only find place we can encounter God is in the present. But to be in the present, we've got to enter the present. 
and a world and culture filled with distractions, it's a discipline we have to learn how to do, how to be silent so that God can restore us. So we can shut off the worries of the future and past and have him meet us in our moments of need. As I've been uh, talking to people at the church for the last couple weeks about some of the things I'm learning, I had a guy recently came up. He said, I'm recognizing some of the conditions that lead to my discouragement and panic and fear. And it's, you know, when I do multiple cross-country business trips at once, whatever that does in my brain, all those pieces, I'm much more susceptible to discouragement if I do multiple business treatings in a row. And so I'm rethinking my schedule because I don't want to set myself up for that kind of thing. Huh. My dad was a school teacher, and I think one of the practices he had to put silence in his life is many times on his way home from school with all the, you know, commotion of having 30 kids in your class, he would actually stop for an extra 15 minutes of this apple orchard. He had a, a lawn chair he kept in the back seat. He would sit in the lawn chair and he would just sit in that apple orchard for 15 minutes before he came home. Now, it was always a rush, right? You know, why aren't you home on time? Why aren't you home on time? But my dad knew 15 minutes in the apple orchard would settle his spirit so he could be a better dad when he did get home. Another friend, he said he had a similar, but he didn't quite have that much time. But he said he purposely, when he drove in, from work, he would take his briefcase, he would move his briefcase over and set it in the passenger seat, and he would take a moment of prayer and quiet and say, God, calm me, help me switch from being a business leader to a dad and husband, and he would use that time to let God just use a little bit of silence in his life, with the talk radio off or the music off, and let God speak to him in the silence, to reset him, to resettle him, to help him. So again, I spent eight weeks on this if you want to dig into it in our series, Playing With Fire. I hope this can be a tool for you, for your friends. But for today, I'd like you to identify one symptom. Of the many symptoms we talked about, isolation, exhaustion, withdrawal, fear, hopelessness, or comparison. What's one symptom you caught yourself when I said it, you went, oh, I'm doing that. Identify one symptom this morning. And then I'd like you to pick one of the remedies that God offers that you think, I've got to implement that this week. God, i got to start taking better care of myself. God, I need, I don't even know if you're the God of the Bible, but I want to at least be open to the possibility of prayer. And I've never prayed before. I'm just going to say, God, help. God, I need strength. I need resources beyond myself. Maybe it's everything in you wants to isolate and you're going to purposely go out and help somebody. You're going to have a city gospel and help somebody because one of the greatest cures for depression is putting your focus on somebody else. You're going to call up a friend and ask them to call you every couple of days and just ask how you're doing. Or, or don't ask. That's one of the worst things in your depression. Don't ask me. I don't want to talk about my depression. Let's talk about anything but my depression. But you're going to purposely put a system in place to keep yourself from isolating. Maybe you're going to drill down with a journal and you're going to try and figure out the stinking thinking, the unique lies or the unique promises you're telling yourself that just aren't true. Or maybe you need to find God in the silence. For the last week, there's a song I have been playing over and over and over on my phone. It's a song we did at our equipping service like 10 years ago. It's a song that takes Psalm 23 and just brings it to life in a really unique way that God has been speaking to me through. And most of us, we hear Psalm 23 when we go to a funeral. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But the Hebrew word isn't actually death. It can mean death, but it includes not just death. It's yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt. Not just death. 
Whether you're doubting things are going to get better, whether you're doubting you can get back to normal, whether you're doubting whether or not you're going to be able to help the people who are hurting around you. Psalms 23 has been a source of hope where God wants to remind you he wants to be your shepherd. Well, let me pray over you this morning. Father, we thank you for being a shepherd. And many of us here are enjoying a season of green grass. And we thank you that you rejoice with those that rejoice. That we are enjoying the summer of our lives. And we thank you that every good gift comes from you. Others of us, Father, we're feeling the fall or the winter. That things are not going the way we want or need. And we wonder if summer and spring will ever come again. Can I ask for each person here? And nobody knows it, but they're dealing with fear and anxiety or even sadness or depression. God, that you would draw near to them right now. God, we come against the spirit of fear. We just ask you to throw that out, cast that out of this room, fear and sadness and depression, Father. Shame. Any stigma that mental health is something that uh, is suddenly uh, shameful rather than just something um, serious but normal in a broken world that we live in. That you would be the wonderful counselor that you were to Elijah, to each each person here. That you would offer them forgiveness and hope and love and strength. And allow us to be the kind of community that can be open and honest about serious issues, even issues like depression. But Father, also I thank you that uh, our yesterdays don't determine our tomorrows. And this is not permanent. That those who are in a discouraging time right now, that you will remind them that you are with them. And that you're going to lead them through this valley. And it won't be a valley forever if they follow your leading. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today for our Rhyme of Reason series. We're going to continue that series next week. Hope you're enjoying it. Again, if you came prepared to give, you can give on the way out. Um, We thank you again for um, just all the ways in which you're using the tools of our services to help your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.